month, or actually the month of September, is a very special month for me personally. 67 years ago, on September 4th, I was left to die with polio in, in Queens, New York, and God did a miraculous miracle in my life. Uh, uh, I remember on the night of, uh, uh, well, during the end of the summer, we had all contracted what the doctors thought was pneumonia, but it wasn't pneumonia for me. My four brothers came through it, and I ended up uh, in a contagious ward of uh, the Queensboro Hospital, dying with 106 and a half fever, and uh, my body just straight as a, a, a board. And uh, <clears throat> I had to be moved out of my home. It was a very sad day for my family. And Grandma Lucy came to live with us, by the way, because my mother couldn't handle it by herself, my dad working and what. And so I, I remember the doctors telling my parents, the disease is very contagious. And you have four other boys here. I have to move him out of the home and into this hospital. When, when they saw the contagious ward of the Queensboro Hospital, it was an army barrack, literally an army barracks. And as you walked in, it was one big, gigantic room with iron lungs. How many of you remember the word iron lung? Anybody here remember it? You were mostly run around 1951. And, and that was how they treated polio victims or they died. There was no salt, there was no sabin. You either died, were crippled, or that was it. You ended up lifetime, lifetime, in an iron lung. I mean, I don't know how to describe it to you, how horrible it was. Well, I was put in that ward that night because the disease was contagious. My church prayed. It was Wednesday night prayer meeting. And my pastor decided to pray through the night with a group of people. They prayed till 6 o'clock the next morning, called my folks, came to the hospital, found me sitting on my bed in the middle of all those iron lungs and crippled children and everything, jumping on my bed. That's when I started jumping, I think. Vanjie <laughs> says, I'm always going on. You know, jumping on my Mom, I'm healed. I'm he screaming across that big, big hallway. I'm healed. I'm healed. And I was completely healed. I gave my life to the Lord uh, as a minister the night before. I said to God, be, I was 12 years old. I said, God, if I live, I'll be a pastor. I'll be a minister. I lived. And for the past 67 years ago, this past uh, two weeks ago, uh, I, I celebrate that. I, I want to turn it around today for my message. Today. Thank you. I want to turn it around today. I want to ask uh, myself a question, and I want to ask you a question. Is my Christianity contagious? I love the story of the old southern lady, Aunt Dinah, who spoke doubtfully about a Christian friend that she had. Here's what she said. They say she's got religion, but if she did, she took it lightly. It don't hinder her none from carrying on like she always did, and no one need be afraid of catching it from her. I, I, I like old Aunt Dinah evaluating. I wonder what she'd say of us if she knew us. Is our Christian temperature high enough for someone else to catch it from us? That's what I want to talk about today. Contagious Christians. Uh, somebody said, and it's an interesting statement, that the main factor that helped the New Testament Christians turn the world upside down 
was not this spirituality which people couldn't see as much as it was their sensibility, their legitimacy, and the authenticity of their lives. My brother Andrew, who you know, Pastor, uh, 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 was the most practical of the five boys. And he used to say to me all the time, come out of your ivory tower. Come down to the real world. And he said, the greatest thing you can teach your people to do is pay their bills on time. I said, what's it got to do with it? Uh, keep their lawns cut. Uh, 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 go to work at, and be at on time at work and put a full day's work. It was a very interesting comment that he made, and it lines up with that statement about the New Testament church. It was their consistency, their legitimacy, their authenticity that people turned to follow Jesus Christ. I want you to look at Acts chapter 4. Keep your Bibles open to it as the Holy Spirit describes the Acts of the Apostles. That's where the book of Acts is, the Acts of the Apostles. And, and see the witness of these contagious Christians because the book of Acts tells us that the early church after Easter and Pentecost was rolling hot. It was spreading like an epidemic. If you were around those believers, you got caught in what they had in the net, as someone called it, the web. You were infected and affected by what was going on in their lives. Remember, disease is most contagious. The reason they moved me, I had 106 and a half fever. It was Disease is most contagious when the fever is the highest. Contagious Christians will not go unnoticed. They serve God effectively. They touch the lives of lost people. Are we contagious? Are we contagious? Vanjie and I uh, had a small church for the first 11 years of our church, and we hardly hit 100 people until people started getting saved, new believers, and they say that you're going to be the most effective in evangelism. Ready for this? The first six months after you come to know Christ. We've got to get new people to Christ. Because they're going to be the dynamos. They're going to be the contagious. And we who have been Christians for a long time, we have to get hot. Get hot. And I'm saying it in a good sense. Let me show you four characteristics in the lives of these believers that turn the world upside down in their generation. And if we can ever replicate this in our lives, same thing is going to happen. First of all, the boldness of their confession. Their confession. Look at Acts 4.13. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated, untrained men, they were amazed. The Sanhedrin conferred among themselves, saying, what should we do with these men? Verse 17. But so that it will not spread any further, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. So they called them and ordered them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Peter and John answered them, Whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you or rather than to God, you decide, for we are, not, we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Verse 23, When they had been released, they went to their own companions, reported all the chief priests and elders said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together to God, and they said, verse 29, Now, Lord, consider their threats. Grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness. Now, here they were in a hostile Roman world. Let me tell you something. People tell me all the time, wow, the Northeast, it's really hostile to God. 
I mean, we're in the toughest place. They, they caught the pastors, I hate to say this with your wife here, but they call it the graveyard of preachers. This whole entire region, from Philadelphia to, to, to up to Boston in that area, that's what, that's what they call it. But I want to put ourselves back in that time. A hostile Roman world, battling a pagan society, despised by the religious people of the day, the Jewish people, the relatives, and their friends that turned against them. What did they do? Instead of retreating and hiding, like a lot of people do on Staten Island, I know not Livingston, New Jersey, but back on Staten Island they do this, they cry out to God for boldness. Now the Greek word here for boldness is speaking confidently, freely, openly. When we get bold for Jesus, we reach and influence people. Now, before you go out of here today and the preacher said, we've got to be bold and we've got to go confident. I don't want you going out of here today and attacking people. You ever know people who attack people? There's a negative connotation to boldness also. Did you know that? It can mean lacking restraint or modesty or having no Filter. Have you ever met someone that didn't have a filter when they were witnessing? You're next to them, and they don't have a filter. You're sitting a bite, an unsaved person over for dinner, and somebody from the church, not your church, but another church comes, and they're sitting there having dinner with you, and they say some really unfiltered things. Well, serving Jesus is the most difficult thing you do, but the blessing is there. It's wonderful. That's unfiltered boldness. They're speaking all right. They're, co they're confident, they're freely speaking, but it's unfiltered. It's without restraint, the, the definition of the word, without restraint from offending someone. This hurts the cause of Christ. When we lack love, we blunt the power of our witness. So there's got to be a way for us to be bold. And the best way is to look at it the way they did. By, by the way, if you're looking at, at boldness, it is a character quality. Do you know that? Boldness is a character quality. You're not born with it. You develop it like you develop patience, long-suffering, all the other things. And here's what boldness means. This will change your whole view of witnessing if you sink it in. Confident that what I have to say will result in lasting benefits to the person I'm speaking to. Let me say it again. Biblical boldness, New Testament boldness, is confidence that what I have to say is going to benefit the person I'm talking to about Jesus Christ. Yes, there was a risk in speaking out for Jesus. They had a great risk, and we have it today. When threatened by the Jewish leaders in verse 19, Peter replied, Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. Paul had that boldness when he spoke to the Romans in chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Here's a scary thing. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me. Young people, listen to me now. Well, you don't know what it is in college. It's really tough. Well, I went to Bible college, so I don't know what it is. But my granddaughters do, and they tell me about it. And they tell me how they have to stand up in the classroom when all the discussions comes on some of the filth and rot that some of the teachers are teaching. Pray for them, would you please? Uh, pray, pray for our, co our college kids because they're facing unbelievable uh, 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 things in, in school today. 
And now, get ready for it. A bill was just passed in California that if you don't address a little girl who walks into the classroom tomorrow and says, Doug, well, uh, Mr. Doug, uh, 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 I want to be called Johnny today. But honey, your name is Joan. Well, I want, and if he doesn't call her Johnny, he could be fined or get up to 10 days in jail, just $1,000 fine and 10 days in jail. This is what we're dealing with. What do we do in this? In this, We have to stand lovingly, kindly, yet firmly as witnesses for Jesus Christ, not ashamed of him. Number two, watch this now. They had the boldness. Okay, it's there. They're confident now that what they're going to preach and say is going to bless people and help, help them. What happens next? I, I call it the beauty of their character. Character. Verse 13, when they observed the boldness of Peter and John, and realized that they were uneducated, untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. I, I like the message. says They recognized them as companions of Jesus. These uneducated, untrained men had come in contact with the greatest leader the world has ever known, the most contagious human being that ever lived. The love, the peace, the forgiveness, the grace, the mercy, the wisdom began to rub off on them. There's an old chorus we used to sing that I'm reminded of it all the time, and it, it, it really brings conviction to me. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. What's he talking about? The love, the joy, the character, all of these wonderful things about Jesus Christ, all his wonderful passion and purity. O thou spirit divine, we sang that beautiful song today. All my Italian nature refined. You say, well, I'm German or I'm African or I'm Spanish or what? Are you a Spanish Christian or are you a Christian who happens to be from a Spanish heritage? Give me an amen, you Puerto Ricans and others. That may be okay. 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 Now, what are we? What, what are, is my dominant feature? Do I, oh, do I have identity? Is my main identity in the fact that I'm Italian? Is that what it is? Ask yourself that question. Because there's identity politics today, and there's also identity stuff in the church too. Where we are going to hold our own. Are we going to, what is our own? I'll tell you what it is. The beauty of the character of Jesus Christ. Oh, thou spirit divine, all my nature refined until the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. And I have to say, here is perhaps the greatest, I would say probably the quality most missing in Christians who are going to heaven. They're saved. Character. Knowledge without character fosters arrogance and pride. But character with knowledge produces maturity and balance in our lives. See, doing good is one thing. Being good is another thing. If you think by doing good you're going to get to heaven, you've received and believed a lie. That good has to come out of something 
what we are. And the only possible way that happens is through the character development of the Holy Spirit living in us. Hey, listen, I, I, learned, I, I like to golf. So I'm in Florida now, three months, and then three months back in New Jersey, three months back in New Jersey. When I'm down there, I golf every week. All my former members are there. I should have a church down there. I, 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 I could have a church on the East Coast in Fort Lauderdale. I could have a church in the West. Tampa, I could have a church. Orlando, I could have a great church in Orlando. Most of my people have moved there in the past 30 or 40 years. Okay? So when I go there, I golf. You know what I learned? When I golf with the pastor from First Baptist Church, is my church down in Naples. He's a good golfer. My game gets better. If I golf with some of the other guys, I'm not stimulated the same way. I don't know what it is. Maybe the way you hold the club. I don't know. What, what is it? It happens. Something happens there. But when I golf with a good golfer, my game goes up. The goodness of that. And what I watch, it rubs off. The newspaper man, Stanley, went into Africa 150 or 160 years ago to find the missionary, David Livingston. And here's what he said when he found David Livingston. He was a newspaper man. He wrote in the newspaper, it was not Livingston's preaching that converted me. It was Livingston's living. It was his living. Lee Bristol said, a man's Sunday self and his weekday self are like two halves of a round-trip ticket. Not good if detached. I like that one. C.S. Lewis wrote a poem. For me it was not the truth you taught, to you so clear, to me so dim. But when you came to me, you brought a sense of him. And from your eyes he beckons me, and from your heart his love is shed, till I lose sight of you and see the Christ instead. Paul admonished the Christians in, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he said, Now the goal of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith. I like it from the message. The whole point of what we're urging is simply love. Love uncontaminated by self-interest and counterfeit faith, a life open to God. Those who fail to keep this point soon wander off into the cul-de-sac of gossip. They set themselves up as experts on religious issues, but haven't the remotest idea of what they're holding forth with such imposing eloquence. It's shallow and empty. Shallow and empty. I'm not impressed, by the way. I'm not impressed by a lot of the stuff I see in, in the, these uh, mega churches and what. And I'm supposed to be a mega church, so I'm, I'm, I'm talking against myself then in that way, see. I'm, I'm not, I'm, you know why? You get to meet some of the people. Why? Oh, we love the music. Oh, we love the word. Oh, we love the air conditioner. We love the building. And everything. Where, where does Jesus come in? I told this story. I'm going to repeat it, Pastor. What I told yesterday about Francis Chan. One day he went home to his wife. 16,000 people in his church at that time, Simi Valley. He goes home to his wife and says, Honey, I got to tell you something. I got to confess something. She said, Oh, what? What is it? She figured maybe it's an affair or something. He said, No, I got to confess something to you. I found out looking into my heart 
that I love the church and the ministry more than I love Jesus. Francis, she said, how could you say that? He said, I'm telling you the truth. I spend more time with that. I spend far more time with that than I do with Jesus. I think about him and everything. And she said, what are you going to do? She said, well, I'm going to start really changing my life. And then he made a comment that shocked her. He said, if Jesus came to Simi Valley and started a church, my church would be bigger than his. Francis, she said, what are you talking about? She said, yeah, I don't ask my people for the commitment he would ask. I don't ask my people for the sacrifice he would ask. And so he said to her, she said, what are you going to do? She said, I'm going to start preaching it. And you know what he said? The back door opened up. People started leaving by droves. And then he went to visit my dear friend Jim Simbler. And Jim Simbler told me this story over Brooklyn Tabernacle one Sunday afternoon. And they used to have, they don't have it now, but they used to have an afternoon service. And where, he went in and he, he, Jim said, okay, he came to preach. Now, he gets up in Brooklyn Tabernacle and he goes to the pulpit and Jim tells me, he said, you won't believe it, Danny. He said, he didn't say a word. One minute, two minutes, three minutes, four, five minutes went by at least. He didn't say, all of a sudden, he speaks out and he says, I, I don't experience this in my church. I, I don't feel the presence of God like I felt here today. You know what happened after he got done preaching? He went back to Simi Valley and resigned. My family went to his church. They told me he resigned. And I knew why he did, because Jim Simba told me what had happened. How deep are we in Christ? How much are we like Christ? How much do we love him? Listen, I'm under conviction even telling that story, Pastor. I'm under conviction. What Paul is really saying is, don't try to reach someone's heart through their head, but try to reach their head through their heart. Let me repeat that again. Some of you didn't catch that. Took me, I had to say it a few times myself when I wrote it down on my computer and everything. Try to reach someone's head through their heart, not the other way around. We're so intellectual. We got the Greek, the Hebrew, we got all the tools today and everything else. What happened to the heart? Do you love Jesus? I, I got into a new habit some years back. If you ever invite me back again, I want to preach a message on the highest calling of the Christian. I may not get back after this message. I don't know. But But one thing I've learned, when I wake up in the middle of the night, I I used to count sheep. That's when I, before I was spiritual. Now, then I became spiritual, found the Lord. Then then I'm going to, now now I'm counting uh, blessings. And then I went for the next one. I'm praying. I, I moved to another level now. When I wake up in the middle of the night, I minister unto the Lord. I start singing beautiful choruses to him. Not my, what happened in my life. By the way, most of our choruses are what happens to us. Uh, I'm talking about singing directly to him. The blessing of their character. They knew Jesus and they were reflecting him. And people, so one place they said, these men have been with Jesus. Remember that situation? Now watch this now. Let's get it. Now we've just hit the, we did the character, we hit all the, now we're going to talk about the practical, the, the, the blessing of their conduct. Their conduct. Look at verse 14. 
And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in opposition. After they ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin, they conferred among us, saying, what should we do with these men? For an obvious sign has been done through them. Clear to everyone living in Jerusalem, we cannot deny it. Verse 21, they found no way to punish them because the people were all giving the glory to God over what had been done. For this sign of healing had been performed, we're talking about conduct, on a man over 40 years of age. When the visible signs of the inward work of the Holy Spirit become evident, Christianity gets contagious. I tried to make an analogy of this. Christianity, to me, is more like chicken pox than a sore throat. What's the difference? You can't see a sore throat, but you can see chicken pox. And Christianity in action has a visible look. I, I read a story about a father trying to explain to his son what the Christian life was all about. When all of a sudden the little boy stopped, Daddy, I, I hear what you're saying, but he said, have I ever seen a Christian? Billy Graham tells a story about sitting with a young a student, a foreign student. And the student said to him, Dr. Graham, I would become a Christian if I ever see a real one. Billy Graham said after that, no sermon he ever heard ever challenged his life more because the student was looking at him when he said it. Somebody said the devil is willing for a person to confess Christianity as long as he doesn't live it. Jesus put it this way, Matthew chapter 5 from the message, you're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this thing, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think that I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I put you out there on the hilltop on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. Be open, opening up to others. You'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Open up your lives, and people will open up their lives to God. Read the book of Acts. By the way, you know what the book of Acts is. It's the acts of the apostles. It's the action of the early church. What was it? Unity, benevolence, good works. I put a whole bunch of things out. Giving, caring, sacrifice, love for each other. Then out of that came the miracles, the healings, the signs, the wonders. Here's Peter's plea. Peter went back to pray. Look what he says here. Heavenly Father, stretch out your hand for healing so that signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Out of the character developed and the witness that they had seen comes this conduct, this action. But I like this. It didn't stop with signs and wonders, all you spiritual people. You know, people following signs and wonders. I just lost a whole group of people from our church. They're following signs and wonders on the internet. Watch out for the internet, would you please? 
verse 32, same chapter. Same chapter, same bunch of guys. Here it is. Now the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and one mind, and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them. For there was not a needy person among them, because all those who owned lands and houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was distributed to each person as any had need. Now, God is not asking us, or he may ask some of you to do that. I, I just heard something just recently. A pastor who said God twice in his ministry. Ask him to give up everything. Cars, houses, land, everything. Twice he did it. I, I haven't been asked to do that yet, but I'd have to say, Pastor, I'd have to say, would, I be, would you be willing if God said, do everything to help everyone? We have today, we pay our taxes, we have Social Security, we have uh, welfare, we have all the different things and what. Thank God for that. Some of you complain about taxes. But what about this? What about the practical things that have to be done? I, I like some of the things that your church is doing in, in that area. And my son, Tim, is, is, is doing a lot of that right now. What, 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 oh, listen to me. What about the complaints that I hear as a pastor about tithing and giving? If you're giving less than 10% in, 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 in your giving today, you don't understand. You say, well, I'm a grace giver. Grace? I thought grace was greater than the law. At least the last time I read in the Bible, grace is greater. We sing the song, grace that is greater than all. Oh, I, I thought, and, and let me tell you something. If everybody in this room was giving at least a minimum level, a minimum of 10%, do you realize what this church could do? Do you realize the staff this pastor could, ha could hire? Do you realize the outreaches that could be funded by this ministry in this church? Thank God. And listen, I'm not putting you down. Thank God for what you're doing right now because I hear some of the things. But we haven't scratched it. We haven't scratched it. Oh, let me get back. Uh, get, get, I'm on a little track there. Let me get back. By the way, that wasn't in my notes. Just one, one word was in my note. Tithe. Okay. That's my favorite word in the Old Testament. Okay. Tithe. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Christians should flavor everything we and everyone we touch. It should be like putting salt on a steak. The early Christians were contagious. Acts 9.31 tells us the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. It increased in numbers. Christianity spreads when it gets hot. Man, get hot. One more thing. And it may be the heart of what I'm saying. Acts 4.23. The bounty of their communion. And they were released. They went to their own people and reported everything. The chief priests and the elders had said to them, when they heard this, they raised their voices together to God. And they said, Master, you're the one who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. 
You said through the Holy Spirit by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why do the Gentiles rage and the people plot futile things? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against his Messiah whom you anointed. Let me tell you something. I, I, I found, that's Psalm chapter 2. I, I, I found out what that was. Have you noticed what David said and what Peter says here? He quotes that. They're okay with God. You can talk about God to Jews, Muslims, anybody. But when you talk about Jesus, vehement rage. Rage. Why? Isn't that interesting that David would say that? And here Peter is talking about, he's praying to God. Lord, the kings of the earth, it's Jesus. And the best thing we have going for us is Jesus. And his name evokes the rage of Muslims, the rage of even sometimes Jewish people who have rejected him as their Messiah. We have to listen, we have to love them. I know all of that. I, I'm, I'm, all, I'm all, all in favor of that. But Peter cries out, he says, And when they prayed, the place where they assembled was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. Behind every great work of God is prayer, fellowship, intimacy, communion with God, which flows, from which flows, from which flows his power, his gifts. Somebody made this statement. It's, it's like we take it like a trite statement. Much kneeling puts one in good standing with God. John Wesley said, God does nothing apart from prayer. My, my prayer life changed incredibly. Right after my surgery in 1972, I had bypass surgery. In 1973, I was at a conference. In Dallas, 13 pastors, we sat around a table for three days and discussed ministry. And so at that table was an older man. Notice how I said, I didn't say old, I said older. Okay, you get that. I was young at that time. <clears throat> <clears throat> and he looked at us, here we were, all these young whippersnappers, all large churches and everything, and he said to us, men, if there's one thing I regret, I didn't pray more. He said, well, what do you mean? He had a big church in Fresno, California. <clears throat> he said, I didn't pray more until I found a book that challenged me. It was entitled, Could You Not Carry One Hour? I don't think you can even get it now. It's probably out of print. And he said, it taught me how to pray the Lord's Prayer. And when I learned to pray the Lord's, Jesus said, pray this way. Not our Father, our Father, no, no, I'm not talking rosary prayer. I'm not talking that. I'm talking praying after that pattern. He said, it transformed my life. I could pray for five minutes when I had it, or I could pray for an hour or two hours. I could do it as they had it. It transformed, it transformed my life. I began to understand what that meant. Has something transformed your praying? They say the average Christian spends less than seven minutes a day praying and reading the Bible. How do you do it? We're not spending that little time eating 
or watching television, aren't we? Probably the greatest secret to the contagious Christianity is the bounty of communion with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that kind of communion, listen to me carefully, can only come, it's not going to come naturally, because our flesh craves the things of the flesh. That's what Paul said. It's going to come by a continuous, conspicuous, conscious, Dr. Stephen Oldford used to say, infilling. And what that means is, don't think it's an empty glass. Some people teach you go filled up on Sunday, you empty the glass, and you spill out during the week. No. It is an inner control. It's like drinking. I've never been drunk, I have to say. I've never been drunk. But they say when you drink too much, you become intoxicated. Paul said, don't be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but if you're going to get excessive, be filled, and the Greek word is controlled. I was raised in a background where it meant empty and fill. No, no, it means out. I'll never forget what Dave Wilkinson said one time. He said when he transferred from Acts 2.4 to Galatians 2.20, he understood the work of the Spirit. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself. We mutter and sputter. We fume and we spurt. We mumble and grumble. Our feelings get hurt. We can't understand things. Our vision grows dim when all that we need is an hour with him. Say amen, somebody, would you? That'll be the toughest battle we face. It is in my life, even to this morning. Fervent prayer, communion with God. D.O. Moody said the Christian is the world's Bible, and in many cases, a revision is necessary. Who told me today? We're using the NIV. And I said, well, I'm, I'm, I got the NASB. And then my, my church just changed to the CSB and, and the BBC. All we need is a revision of what Christ wants. Do you need that continuous revision in your life today? Keep it hot and contagious. Let me close with Paul's words. Here it is. Philippians chapter, two, uh, chapter 3, verse 12. I'm not saying that I have everything all together, that I have made it. But I'm well on my way reaching out for Christ who has so wondrously reached out. Are you here without Christ today? Maybe you slipped in a friend, boy. Maybe you're busy. You're sitting here week after Maybe you haven't really made a confession. Listen to what he says here. I'm well on my way reaching out for Christ who so wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all this. But I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running. I'm not turning back. That's the heart of a contagious Christian.